Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass Amherst student Maura Murray disappeared in the White Mountains of New Hampshire in one of the most perplexing mysteries of our time. For years, we have covered Maura's case and the tireless online community that surrounds it in great detail. We have since expanded our mission with this series, raising awareness and shining a light on the stories of other missing persons. We now sit on the board of directors of the nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing, which was founded by Bruce Maitland. Bruce's daughter, Brianna Maitland, went missing from Montgomery, Vermont on March 19th of 2004, just six weeks after and about 80 miles away from where Maura Murray vanished. Private Investigations for the Missing aims to assist with investigations for underserved families whose missing loved ones have been forgotten by the media or by law enforcement. Through our growing community, we hope to shed a light on these cold cases. Families and loved ones can reach out to us at investigationsforthemissing.org. This is Missing. Welcome back to Missing. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I couldn't be better, Tim. Just literally could not be better. How are you today? I'm doing pretty well, and I'm delighted that we're being joined by our pals, Lou Barry of PIs for the Missing. He is a licensed private investigator, Lance, and a former police chief. He's now uh, donating his time pro bono for private investigations for the missing, and we're being joined by Jason Watts, who is best known for his advocate work in the Brandon Lawson case. Yes, both of these gentlemen do a lot of fine work on their own independently, and they work with private investigations for the missing. They've teamed up on this missing person in particular. We speak about Samantha Tapp, and this is really a cool insight into the beginning stages of what it's like 
as a private investigator looking into someone who's missing and really just getting the information early on and trying to figure out what to do with it and trying to figure out what to do with information you don't have, which I find just as interesting. And Samantha Leanne Tapp went missing from Burleson, Texas on October 12th, 2004. She is considered an endangered runaway. And uh, she was born July 25th, 1988. So she'd be around 32 today. And she was about 16 at the time of her disappearance. Statistics for the time of her disappearance. Five foot, four inches, 120 pounds. Caucasian female, black hair, brown eyes. And Samantha may be using or may have used the last name Van Diver. And she may wear eyeglasses or contact lenses if anyone has any information on it. Please contact the Burleson Police Department at 817-426-9910. And you can always reach out to us at Private Investigations for the Missing at investigationsforthemissing.org. If you need to get a message to someone, you can do it there, and we can forward that to the appropriate place. And please join us on Saturday, February 20th. Tim and I, along with some of our most trusted cohorts will be closing out the evening of fundraising for the Charlie Project on Get Vocal. This is an organization that many of you are familiar with. They feature missing persons and all of the statistics that you need, all of the information for calls of action. It's an important mission, and this fundraiser has been organized by none other than the Josh Hallmark from Our Americana and True Crime Bullshit. That's right. I can't wait for this. It's going to be a lot of fun. And shout out to Megan Good, who runs the Charlie Project. We'd love to have her on Crawl Space at some point or missing at some point. Um, we will definitely uh, circle back about that. But yeah, if you can't join, maybe you can donate to the Charlie Project. It is such a valuable resource to what we do. And she's a one-person show. It's pretty amazing what she's been able to do. And again, this is on GetVocal.com. That is G-E-T-V-O-K-L.com. And it is February 20th, Saturday, February 20th. The event starts at noon and goes all the way to midnight. So a 12-hour fundraiser that is going to be highlighted by people like Unjust and Unsolved. That's Maggie Freeling from Unjust and Unsolved. We have Wine and Crime. We have Ellie Not So Confidential. We have Rebecca Sebastian. And like I said, Tim and I will be joining as well, wrapping up the evening at 1045. And then Josh officially closes out everything at 1130. So it should be a great event. Again, you can donate always to the Charlie Project. So check them out at charlieproject.org. Thanks a lot, everybody. Hope you enjoy this interview with Lou Barry and Jason Watts about missing Samantha Tapp. Welcome back to the podcast, Chief Lou Barry and Jason Watts. How's it going? It's another day in the merry old land of Texas. The former chief. No, you'll 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 always be the current and presiding chief uh, in private investigations for the missing and and in our hearts, really. Yeah, it's. I kind of feel like it's like the uh, the way that the old garden used to chant uh, "Chief" for Robert Parrish. That's kind of the way I'm using it uh, to address you. Has no has no law enforcement reference. No official. Yeah, no official. Even though you you are a former chief, <laughs> and you can dunk a serious basketball. <laughs> uh, not anymore. <laughs>
Well, uh, welcome back to the airwaves, fellas. Um, we uh, have done some work with both you gentlemen on different cases, Brianna Maitland, Brandon Lawson, and here we are to talk about a different case tonight. It's the case of Samantha Tapp. One that we've been talking about and talking about, it's an interesting case, I think, in, in comparison to a lot of the ones we do. As in the Brandon Lawson case, this came to us from Jason, who is friends with, um, I guess, who you would call the client, so to speak, Kendall Wyatt, who is the missing Samantha Tapp's sister. Yeah, we're, we're, we're talking about Samantha Tapp. And uh, Jason, thank you so much for, first, the work you've done with uh, Brandon Lawson's case, um, and also for bringing... Brandon's family on a get vocal that we do these get vocals every Thursday night. You brought them on. It was the only get vocal that I had to flip my camera down because I can't watch family members and you communicate like that without getting choked up. And seriously, for real, that was some of the most human stuff that we've seen uh, just doing this in general. And I'm so glad that it was able to be captured on this virtual event, this live event. And uh, hopefully we can all get together at CrimeCon. But Samantha Tapp is also from Texas. And that's your stomping ground. She went missing in uh, Burleson, Texas. Am I saying that correctly? Uh, so she went missing October 12, 2004 from Burleson, Texas. Uh, she was only 16 years old at the time of her disappearance. And for the longest time, her case has uh, largely went unknown. I mean, if you try to Google it or search it, you will bring up almost nothing. It's just an absolute unheard of case. I've been friends with Samantha's sister, Kendall, for many, many years. I became acquainted with her when I was married to my ex-wife. My ex-wife and uh, Samantha's sister were classmates. And uh, for the longest time, I didn't know Kendall had a sister that was missing. I was just Googling missing person cases near to me one day and uh, Samantha Tapp came up and it kind of hung up in my mind that, well, Kendall's last name was Tapp. And she went to Burleson. I asked Kendall about it and she said, yes, you know, that's my younger sister and she's missing. I'm just a private citizen, so I'm kind of limited as to what I could do. And I had been working with Lou with the Lawson case and I was... A little hesitant to ask Lou about it because Lou's a busy guy too. And I, the last thing I wanted to do was overload him. Uh, but I, I finally mentioned it to him one day and he said, you know what, let's take a look. And so Lou really has done a lot with the tab case. He really has. And he's been communicating with law enforcement in Burleson. And I'm just going to kind of let Lou really take it from here because he knows the most and I'll chime in when it's necessary. Well, I told Jason, if one more friend of his comes up missing in Texas, we're going to start taking a closer look at him. Uh, Chief of comedy as well. Texas is a big state, man. I can't help but people go missing. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a, a fascinating case, I think, um, in some regards, in that there's, um, I think, and I think Jason thinks, and I think the family hopes that, uh, somewhere out there, Samantha's alive and well. It's, it's not your, uh, I would say, typical missing person case where you know we, you fear the worst and hope for the best. I think in this case, I I think it's a very, um, very good possibility that, that Samantha is out there, um, somewhere. And just a little bit about the circumstances, uh, Samantha 
um, was adopted, or, or I shouldn't say adopted, but she was a foster child, this woman by the name of Van Diver, uh, who's a school teacher in, in the city of Burleson, very well-liked, very popular woman who took in many, many foster children over the years. Um, and Samantha and her sister Kendale were, were two of them. There was still some communication, apparently, with, with natural family, even though she was in this foster home. And at some point, she went to live with um, her grandparents. She apparently was uh, having some difficulties. She was on probation. Uh, and one particular night, wound up taking the grandparents' car without permission. And Kendale saw the car and, and talked to her and um, said, hey, you know, you got to come home and... and um, she tried to get Kendale to allow her to stay at Kendale's boyfriend's house. Um, and Kendale refused, obviously, to say, no, you're just going to get everybody in trouble. That's the last contact that Kendale has had with, with Samantha. And she was uh, 16 at the time, Jason, I believe. Yeah, 16. And as my understanding was that it was the aunt's car that she took. I think it's uh, grandparents. I'm pretty okay. sure it was the grandmother's. She was reported as a as a runaway, um, and I I guess there was some type of investigation done. It's kind of hard to say what um, was done, but you know the years slipped past, and and off and on there's been some official investigation into it. More so, I think, in that 2012 to 2015 range, uh, when the attorney general's office in Texas got involved. Um, but there's evidence out there that she contacted an aunt shortly after the disappearance, if not, I think that night or maybe a few nights later, at some point, and actually showed up at, at another aunt's house at one point, has been run by authorities several times, um, Dallas-Fort Worth Airport, Melbourne, Florida, um, Oregon, and... Um, Delafield, what was that, Minnesota, was it? Uh, or Wisconsin, maybe. Um, so over the years, off and on, she has apparently had contact with authorities, causing them to run her as, a, as in the computer that shows up later on an offline search. Yet no one can pin down the specifics as to who, why, when, or where. So anyways, to try and figure out what had been done, uh, we contacted the Burleson PD, and um, you know I really want to commend them. Talking to their the detective who is now sort of assigned to the case, and he that was perfectly honest. He said, "Look, we do not have the time nor resources to be looking at a missing person from 2004." Um, and he was very. He said, I, I, "I'm glad you're doing it. I'm glad somebody's doing it. We'll help as much as we can." Obviously, they run into a stone wall with being able to release records. So he suggested a FOIA request. And Jason, I think you'd already put in one, hadn't you, um, around that time? Yeah, yeah, I did. I put in a Freedom of Information Act request for her case files and records. And uh, they, I guess, weren't comfortable releasing them to a private citizen, which is understandable. So uh, that's when I suggested you put in the FOIA. Well, what happened was that it shouldn't matter. FOIA is FOIA, whether it's going to an individual or, or an agency. I shouldn't say agency. Government agency is obviously different, but it shouldn't matter. When I put in the request, I had a response was, we'd love to give it to you. However, we have to get our city attorneys um, okay on it. 
and the city attorney um, denied it, yet he said, um, I'm going to send this up for an appeal to the attorney general's office. He just didn't feel comfortable releasing it. And after some period of time, we got a response from the attorney general's office. And, you know, you talk about a catch-22. They can't release the information because she was a juvenile at the time. And juvenile records are not public information. So even though she's now an adult, the fact that she went missing as a juvenile, according to them, prohibits them from releasing the reports to us. That's when we suggested that maybe Kendale put in a request, being a next of kin. She got to put in a request, and lo and behold, what, maybe a week ago, a week or so ago, she got a response, and they gave her all the reports from the attorney general's office. Not the Burleson reports, um, but what's more valuable to us is the more recent reports anyway. So we now have those in our hands. Oh, good. Is there uh, anything valuable in there? I hope so. <laughs> I mean, it's it's um, we're right in the stages now where we're trying to follow up on that, uh, trying to contact certain people and uh, without luck so far. But um, I, I feel really hopeful that there's some decent leads there. And um, we've already discussed the other night. We had a phone call with myself and Jason and Ken Dale about, you know, where we were going to proceed from here. And um I've been trying to make contact with one particular person. I haven't been able to at this point. We've discussed an alternative that Jason and Kendale may may try and make in-person contact. So that's probably our next step. How close were uh, Kendale and Samantha? What was their relationship like? They were very close. Kendall has described it as, you know, they they were there for each other. They were close sisters. Uh, that's the way she describes the relationship. She did mention that they did have a little bit of a rough upbringing and that may play a factor in why Samantha hasn't made contact with Kendall. Any more detail on that? What do you mean by rough upbringing? Well, I mean, their parents at the time just, you know, weren't really in a good place to be raising children. And that's why they were ended up being fostered by fostered by uh, Miss Vandiver and Ms. Vandiver, as Lou pointed out, fostered many children. And so <clears throat> Kendall and Samantha have many uh, adoptive siblings because Ms. Vandiver, again, she fostered many children throughout her life. But the relationship that they had with their biological parents, you were saying their biological parents were in no position to be raising a child at that time? It was just a rough set of circumstances from what Kendall describes it. Yeah. Okay, and uh, a few minutes ago, Lou, you mentioned that Samantha's um, information was run by authorities in some different states. Do you have any more detail on that? Um, I guess what you mean by that, um, I I know you said no one really ever caught up to her in those circumstances, but I'm wondering if there's any more detail. All I have is notations in the report saying that um, they did what they call an offline search. And they found out that she had been run, um, I think most recently was up in Oregon. But when they contact the authorities up there sometime later, there's no record of it. They don't, you know. And that's understandable. I mean, you might run someone on on a computer and five years later, you're not going to have a record of that. So, and I think that's kind of what's happened is it's all, 
Now, why, if they ran them, they didn't get a hit at the time, I don't know. I, I, you don't know the circumstances of why they ran them or anything. So. Yeah, and and we we don't know the circumstances on why uh, her identification was run. She she has no record, I take it, from these instances? Well, according to one report I have here, she was run by customs at the Dallas-Fort Worth Airport in 2013 by her birth name, Samantha Tapp. But uh, customs say they have no record of her name being ran. It's noted here that it's possible someone may have been using her name. Kendall did confirm that Samantha did not have a passport. And and you said that they ran this at the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth uh, airport? That's correct, yes. And that's pretty close to her town uh, of Burleson? Yeah, it's probably... The airport's probably about 30, 40 minutes away. And this is almost in the, I guess, northeastern part of Texas? Yeah, it's uh, northeast Texas. Actually, the city where I live, Cleburne, is part of the southern DFW metroplex. Where would she be going, just out of curiosity? We don't have a clue. I mean, after she disappeared, she... She kind of becomes an enigma and then pops up here, there, here, there. And there's no real kind of rhyme or reason, I would guess. Right, Lou? Allegedly, she at one point claimed she met a boyfriend from, or met a guy and she was going to Florida. And this was right when she had had contact with one of the aunts, or uncles rather. Um, She showed up at their doorstep and wanted to go live with them. And they said, sure, fine but we can't come and get you. So at that point, she was in Cleveland, supposedly. And she called back and said, forget it. She had met a guy from Melbourne, Florida, and she was going there. And there's a phone. They got a call, and a phone number comes back to from Melbourne, Florida. The authorities tried to track down this phone and um, said it was a spoof number. But my indication is that it's, I have a name that goes with the number and it matches a name that was mentioned. You know, that's one lead that we, we still are, are going to follow up on. Where are you getting this uh, cell phone records from the police or from the family? This is coming from the attorney general's report. So you're, you're currently in the state of looking through these records, looking at phone records. Uh, I, I'm assuming, are there, are there emails in there? Um, anything else that can trace any sort of path or anything? No, we, we've got some names. You know, one of the indications was that she had, might be using the name of a foster sister. So we have a list of those. In fact, one of the names that was run was Samantha Brown. Brown is the name of a relative. She may very well could be using the name Brown. She could be using the name Van Diver. She could be using the name Tap, or she could be using any one of a number name. She allegedly had a baby. Now, she may have had the name taking the name of whoever the baby daddy is i we don't know that i think the key is to get the information out there that um she's not wanted by the authorities for anything the stolen car is ancient history as far as they're concerned um the reason we're looking for her is to reunite her with her sister period She's not in any trouble. She's not in, you know, going to face any charges. She's, she were to contact her sister and say, hey, I'm alive and well. Leave me alone. 
then that would be the end of that. We initially speculated, Lou and I did, that that maybe one reason Samantha has not come forward is because she's still in fear of getting in trouble. And as Lou pointed out, that's not the case anymore. So we feel that, you know, doing this podcast, get the word out. If Samantha hopefully hears it or someone that may know who she is hears it, they can pass the word along to her that, you know, hey, it's okay now. You you can make contact. Uh, Kendall very, very much misses Samantha. She just wants to hear the sound of her voice. That's what she told me. Is there any chance she doesn't know she's missing? I guess that's a possibility. Yeah. It's a pretty obscure case. Uh, there's really not been a lot of media coverage on it, just even trying to research it. There's the Charlie Project and there's uh, some missing posters, but really not even many articles. Yeah, and that's one of the benefits really of, of, of you know, private investigations for the missing and, and you know, you guys is to help spread uh, the word on these cases that aren't largely known. You know, I would say that this one is definitely solvable, you know, if you can get the word out and stuff like that and get the right information. You know, that's just a huge benefit to to what you guys are doing and Bruce Maitland's mission and all of that. I think that's a good point, Tim, that there are people out there that are so-called missing that aren't missing. They just don't know someone's looking for them. Uh, case in point was that young man that we looked at uh, out of the D.C. area where the the Whalens wanted to, you know, do an investigation. They picked this kid and it was like, okay, let's go. And in five minutes, we found him. As far as he was known, he, he wasn't missing. Nobody was looking for him. That's all. I mean, he had run away as a 16-year-old. As a and I don't know how much effort was put into locating him, but he turned 18, got a job, moved on with his life, has an apartment, and uh, not missing. <laughs> it's just it. you know, he didn't know anybody was looking for him. That's all. You know, I asked Kendall, why do you think Samantha hasn't at least made contact with you. And she told me, you know, we had such a, a rough upbringing that Samantha may not want to revisit that part of her life or she just may not know that I'm looking for. Her. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. A lot of the cases that come along that are brought to our attention as we work with the organization, Private Investigations for the Missing, they're typically ones that have some sort of nefarious context to them. But I feel like the majority of missing persons cases are a little bit more straightforward, where someone just doesn't know, like we were talking about, and and all it takes is a phone call or an email or just some form of reaching out somehow to say, I'm here. I'm I'm fine. You can move on. I can move on. And then they can work out whether or not they want to connect or continue that relationship. But just putting somebody's mind at ease, regardless of what happens next, is really just as much of a, of a win for an organization like this as finding a perpetrator, finding bones. You know, we're not always all about like the doom and gloom. It's just a phone call, maybe. When I first took a look at this and mentioned it to Lou, Lou and I did have a concern that there may have been a nefarious 
you know, element to this. But once we really got into it, we realized that that probably wasn't the case here. You know, a lot of teenagers that, you know, run away or go missing, some of them end up, you know, being trafficked or meeting other unfortunate uh, ends. Uh, But it doesn't look like that's happened here, I would say. When I first looked at the case a couple of years ago, there was an unidentified Jane Doe out in Kilgore that uh, matched some of Samantha's criteria, but they ended up identifying that young lady. Yeah, I just want to ask again about the so the files. You, Lou, you said there was some some possible leads, and I know you're following up on, on them. Was there anything suspicious in the files? I know it seems like the prevailing theory is that um, Samantha likely left on her own, own accord. Is there anything I- official in those files why they think that? I don't think um, there was ever any question on the part of the authorities that something happened to her at the time. I mean, she she had taken grandma's car, got scared. She was already on probation. I don't know why, but it doesn't matter. And she took off. Um, I mean, it was, I think, that simple. And she, like I said, had showed up. It wasn't that long afterwards. She showed up at the aunt's house, if I remember correctly. Jason, you know the timeline a little better than I do, but she showed up over the years, you know, from time to time. It wasn't like she just totally disappeared. No one's ever seen her again. She very well could be out there alive or she maybe something did happen to her. But I think as of 2013-14, anyway, she was still uh, still out there. Now, when, when you say she showed up, is it confirmed sightings or did she show up for like Easter dinner or something? Knock on the door. Really? Like literally showed up? According to a couple of the relatives, yes. That's yeah. What they told uh, they told Burleson PD, isn't that right, Lou? Yeah. You know, basically said, hey, I'm here. <laughs> and the, the, the person who answered isn't related. It was she's married to the relative or something, somehow there. And she didn't know her. They'd never met before. So they kind of, she kind of turned her away. But they've had contact a couple times since then from her via phone calls. Is there a boyfriend that can be connected to this? Uh, is she... You said she might have had, um, maybe she had had a child. Well, we've got a name that owned the phone that she allegedly made a call from who was interviewed and denied any knowledge of her. That might be because she borrowed a phone or it might be because he doesn't want anyone to know that he had a relation with her. I, I mean, I don't know. We don't, we don't know enough about that, but certainly it's worth following up on. Right now, I think our best lead is, is one that we're looking at. So we're going to pursue that first and then you know, go on to these other things afterwards. From what Kendall told me, she did apparently tell a boyfriend at one, a boyfriend of hers at one time that she would run away with him to Wyoming. But uh, we tracked that boyfriend down and he's still living here in Texas. So it doesn't look like, you know, that was probably just part of teenage love. I mean, we've all been in love and, you know, at that age and said, Hey, let's run away and get married. And I don't know about that. I've asked him to run away with me numerous times and he's, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> never he never never uh there's no convincing him i am curious about the procedure jason in which you go through to contact someone like a, a boyfriend i don't even know if it would be considered a boyfriend when you're that young and and those words are exchanged and then years later i'm assuming it was prior to 2004 she told this boyfriend that we're going to, you know, I would love to run away with you. So you're looking at what, 16, 17 years later, 
how do you approach an individual and say, hey, do you remember this young woman? And, and do you remember what she said to you? How, how did that whole scenario play out? Basically, I just found the guy on Facebook and shot him a message. Sometimes that's a little awkward, but uh, he was pretty cool. He said, you know, no, I'm living over here in Texas. And uh, he said, yeah, I remember her, but you know, that was 16, 17 years ago. And, you know, I'm here in Carrollton with a wife and kids now. So clearly we didn't run away to Wyoming. Were there any reports from the person who saw Samantha on what she looked like? Like what condition she was in? Did she have the child with her? I think it said that she did have the child with her, but there's no report on her appearance or anything like that. No. But one report said she was in scrubs and they even had a, a location where she was supposedly staying in Cleborn at a shelter. By the time they find out the information, it's years later. Yeah, they're not going to keep records that long. There's actually a mention, the sighting of her in Oregon mentions that. On February 17th, 2011, Samantha Lee Ann Tapp was run in Oregon in Columbia County, possibly with St. Helens Police Department. Uh, Both Columbia County and St. Helens Police Department were contacted for further information as to why her name was run, but their records did not go back that far. At some point, Jason, you did an age progression on one of the photos? That was done by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, yes. Uh, I think that was done by the request of uh, one of the detectives at Burleson PD. It's hard to say whether it's an accurate description of what Samantha would look like. And I guess any age progression photo really is just a guess of what the person may look like. But uh, I would like to see one done on maybe a more common photo of her in her everyday life. That's a good point. And it's one of the things with Amber Alert. You know, usually a child goes missing and you ask the parents for a picture. And what do they do is they run and they grab their, their class picture where they're all, their hair is all nice and neat and they're all dressed up for school and they're, you know, and that's not what they look like. Take a picture of them out in the yard after they've been playing in the mud for a while or whatever. And that's what they're going to look like, you know. When does it get to the point with a seemingly well-staffed police department in a, large town small city around 36 to 40,000 citizens when does it get to the point where something isn't a priority for them just your opinion you know was it around 2005 2006 I don't think there's any um, hard and fast rule I think it depends upon how fresh is the case are there any leads coming in or is it just sitting there stagnant the longer a case goes without any attention being paid to it less attention that gets paid to it. Um, it, get, it starts gathering dust and then it's forgotten. And yeah, I think we see that over and over again. One of the big things about PI for the Missing is once that organization gets involved, the dust gets blown off the file and it generates a little bit of interest because the, the, the worst thing, uh, I think, and, and I hate to say this, but I think it's true, no department out there wants someone else to solve their case. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, obvi- and also, you know, no obvious foul play I- in this case. So I-, I can imagine how this one very easily slipped down priority uh, ladder. But um, I'm curious, wh- where do you think the best chance or best? I- what's your best idea on where she is now or what area, general area she might be? I would say that we're interested very much in the possibility of her being in Florida. You know, obviously these sightings in Wyoming 
and near that area up in Oregon and stuff like that are interesting to us. Uh, Lou's got the lead he's working on. We're really curious to see where that goes. In this day and age, travel is so easy that, you know, you can be in Boston today and L.A. tomorrow. And, I mean, I don't think there's anything that leads us to a specific location. It's just there's some possibilities. But, you know, what's curious to me is her social number has never been used. That I can tell. You'd be able to tell if she used that on something like a job application. It should show up somewhere if she if she created any type of an identity using that social number. I mean, got a job, got a driver's license, got a house. Paycheck. You know, eventually stuff shows up in public record, and there's zero activity on there. So that doesn't mean anything. She could have got another social number. She may never have worked a job where she needed a social number. That was one of the things I had hoped for was that if she had just taken off and changed her last name and gotten a job that eventually her social number would show up and then go we'd find her, but it didn't didn't happen that way. I gotta say there's a, a real value to conversations like this because there are other shows out there that focus on missing persons and the the ones that are great are great. They typically will focus on a missing person and have all the details as fully uh, in order as they possibly can. It's it's produced and it delivers a very cohesive storyline for the listener. But I think that there is real value to hearing investigators come together through an organization and talk through something that is really perplexing when they don't have all the information yet. And you, you two have just been delivered a FOIA packet, uh, a, 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 a collection of documents that are tracing this young woman's life up to her disappearance. And I think, again, there's a real value to hearing frustration in your voices, downright confusion, and and almost a, a bit of despair when you're talking about her sister, just literally wanting a phone call. Because these disappearances aren't clean. None of them are clean. None of them are produced. None of them are cohesive. They're all very confusing and very convoluted when you first start. And I feel like that's really valuable for people who want to involve themselves more in something like being a citizen detective or or, or looking into cases because you're not going to get the package delivered to you fully wrapped. You're going to have to go through the FOIAs and you're going to have to say, uh, why isn't she using her social security number. Why are we talking about Wyoming and Florida? And and maybe she knocked on the door to this person's house that might have been a relative. You know, like all of these things come from somewhere. And I, again, feel there's a big value to hearing the process right from the start. Some things there's just no explanation for. <laughs> I mean, you've, you know that. You've seen these cases where um, you, you go off on these red herrings. Or they're dead ends. There's just nothing to them. And yet you can get so uh, wrapped up in minutia sometimes it turns out to lead you nowhere that it's that can be very frustrating i mean that really really can spend you know hours and hours and hours tracking something down and at the end you find out it's irrelevant i'm curious about the social security number again um lou lou have you seen this where someone has i guess digitally dropped off the face of the earth like that like how if she's out there, like it seems like she could be, um, how could she have done it without 
using her social at all. Well, you're 16 years old. Why can't you apply for a social security number under a different name? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> I, I, I literally, I, I guess I don't know. Like, I, have you seen that before? Is that, that's a possibility and people do that? Back when, when I was growing up, you didn't even get one until you were 16. Now I think they issue them at birth. But, I mean, especially you're in Texas. How many Texas people are there that were not born in Texas that um, need a social security number at some point and apply for one and get them, I'm assuming. So it's not totally um, beyond belief that she just obtained a new social security number. That's all. Under another name. She used the name um, Samantha Tapp. She went by Samantha Van Diver. Um, and we believe she's using the name Brown. Um, and then there's probably four or five other names that she potentially could be using, as well as perhaps their ID. I, I don't know. And what does it say to you, uh, both of you? Just curious. If this is a case where she is found and she says, I didn't realize anybody was looking for me, what does that say to you? Because, I mean, I, I kind of have a feeling of what it says to me, but is there like a bigger picture that should be addressed at this point? You do have people out there that care. There are people out there that have cared since day one. And, you know, I care because I decided to help Kendall out. She may have just wanted to put that chapter of her life behind her. That's all. That's and true, too. Absolutely. Again, it goes back to the fact, one of the reasons why no one's worked on the case, it was reported as a juvenile runaway. A few years goes by, she is no longer a juvenile runaway. So realistically, if there's no warrants out for her as a fugitive and she's not a runaway, the authorities have no reason to look for her. What would you um, say to people, you know, especially someone like her who might ask, why am I so interesting to you guys? Her sister is. We're not doing this for Samantha. Jason's not involved. He doesn't know Samantha. He's doing this to help his friend Kendale out. And I think that's, you know, I'm helping out Jason. It's Samantha doesn't want to be found. Samantha doesn't want to be found. But for God's sakes, at least contact your sister. She cares. And that's why we're doing it. We're not doing it for Samantha. I mean, if Samantha was in danger, that would be entirely different. But I don't think she is. Is that right, Jason? You feel the same way? Kendall is a good friend of mine. And I've known her for a long time. And I just want to be able to put her back in touch with her sister. I think Kendall would definitely, you know, sleep a lot better at night if she at least knew that, you know, her she had the peace of mind of knowing that her sister is still alive and is okay. If Samantha does happen to hear this, at least contact Kendall, please. You know, if you, if you don't want to come back to Texas or, or, you know, that's fine. You know, you're she's an adult at this point. We can't make her do anything. But please, please reach out to Kendall. And if you don't know how, contact one of us. Message Tim and Lance. They'll be more than happy to get in touch with us and help you get back in touch with Kendall. Be more than happy. She could even go through PI for the missing. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, you know, it's easy enough to set up a, a an email account out there. It doesn't have to identify her location or anything like that. And just let us know. That's all it takes. No, that's all it takes.
When a person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter Brianna disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.